Well, I, uh, I hope you had a good Christmas, got everything you wanted. I sort of did. Only one thing I didn't get that I really wanted, uh, soap on a rope. I didn't, I didn't get any of that. You remember, some of you members, you're too young. Some of you are too young to know soap on a rope. But that was what you always gave that uncle that you didn't know what to get him. Soap on a rope by Brute or uh, Old Spice. Soap on a rope. It was a cool thing. Uh, Wednesday, of course, New Year's. And being from Texas, if you're from Texas or the South, you know that on New Year's Day, you are going to eat... Black-eyed peas, you bet. You know, I love it, man. My mama, she always made sure that I was eating black-eyed peas. Even as an adult, she called me up. Did you eat some black-eyed peas? Yes, ma'am. Because you know you got to eat black-eyed peas? I said, Mama, I love black-eyed peas. I ate some. And, uh, in fact, we got two bags at home. We're going to have a lot of black-eyed peas this upcoming year, I guess. And um, when Debbie and I were younger, and uh, we, there were several couples in one of the churches I was at. We'd get together. And so one New Year's Day, we were, we'd get together and we'd watch, you know, football. I mean, we'd have four or five TVs back when all you had was cable. We were stealing cable from every neighbor around, splitting them off, coming over there and watching all these games. And uh, so the, the lady said, a friend of ours, the girl said, I'll, I'll have the black eye peas. said, all right. And I get there, <laughs> she had black eye pea dip. And I'm looking at that and saying, man, oh, man, what in the world have you done? Because you make black eye peas, you put some onion in there. You can put some fat back or salt pork, whatever you like that. You don't put cauliflower in uh, the black eye pea. So I took one, and I rinsed it off, and I ate it, and I had a lousy year that year. I'd never do that again. So the reason you eat black eye peas, depending on where you're from, some said it's luck, but from where I come from, <coughs> it's, it's to have a prosperous new year. And prosperity doesn't just mean money, and we get that idea, but it's the idea of having a blessed year, you know, a really good new year. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're here, this is the, kind of the odd Sunday of the year, you know, Christmas is over, we don't, we don't want to celebrate Christmas anymore, I love Christmas, I celebrate it for two or three months, but at three o'clock on December 25th, it's over for me, man. So we're moving on, you know, we've got a whole new series coming in January, I love, I love on this Sunday of the year, you know, to celebrate the Lord's Supper, baptism, and I always kind of want to bring a message, either kind of reflects on the past, looking forward to the year coming up, and so I'm going to talk to you about a prosperous new year. Having a prosperous new year from Matthew 6, verse 33, prosperous not in terms of money, but in terms of just being blessed with God, having a great relationship with God, an abundance of relationship. Matthew 6, 33 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given or added unto you. Seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and everything else will fall in place. So here's the thing, as we wrap up 2019, get ready for 2020. Here's what I want you to see. If you want to have a prosperous 2020, truly have a prosperous 2020, then live a life that seeks to do God's will, God's way. And the secret to life, so much of it, is to do God's will, God's way. So the passage I read or recited to you comes from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is important. It is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is the basic teaching of Jesus on what it means to be a follower. You are his follower. This is what he expects. It's important to me. My doctorate is, is, is on the Sermon on the Mount. I spent a lot of years studying and preparing and knowing this, and, and this is what it's about. <clears throat> and, and Jesus gathered followers and people who weren't followers, and he taught them. And probably Jesus taught this message many times. It's only found in, this, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Parts of it are kind of found in Luke. There are some people that think, well, maybe he didn't preach it that much. Listen, if this is the basic expectation to be a follower of Christ, he preached it all the time. And so Matthew takes it and he takes a form of it and kind of gives us a, a detailed outline, because that's really what this is, just to help us with the Sermon on the Mount. Now, you understand contextually, 
that he's talking to people who were Jewish, and the Jews believed in the kingdom of God. And uh, you know, we, we don't use that phrase as much in our culture, but it's, it's an important concept. Uh, to us, kingdom kind of is the geopolitical, like the kingdom of France, kingdom of England, the Spanish kingdom, all those kingdoms. But really with God, it concerns not politics or, or geography, it concerns his reign, his rule over the lives of people. We need to understand there is a sense in which God, who has created all, is king over all. Everything is his kingdom. And ultimately, Christ will consummate all of that. But specifically, now in a fallen world, the kingdom of God is the people who follow God. Now, to the Jews, they were a part of his kingdom just by being Jewish. And what would happen when the Messiah was to come and Jesus was the Messiah, he would establish the reign and rule of the Jews over everything. Your place in that kingdom was established by your righteous living. So the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders would talk about living a righteous life, doing works, good works to achieve or earn, force God to give you that place. Jesus comes and he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And as part of the sermon, and as part of his entire ministry, he is radically changing their concept because they are fundamentally wrong. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is based on a commitment and relationship to God through Christ. And the way we serve God and live for God is based on that relationship. So in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks in an introduction, Matthew 5, verse 3, kind of through 12, he's talking about the eight essential characteristics of his follower. If you are a follower of Jesus, this describes you. This is how you live your life. You know, the poor in spirit, you know, the humble, uh, those who are peacemakers, this is you. He then talks about the believer's influence in verses 13 through 16. You are salt, you are light. He comes in verse 17 through 20 to talk then a transitioning to the body of his message. Now, Matthew didn't write this out in chapters. That was added later. But beginning in chapter 5, verse 21, through the end of chapter 5, Christ talks about our attitudes, our fundamental attitudes that we are to have. And he concludes it in verse 48 by saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That does not mean sinless, though we should strive never to sin. But realistically, it means to be complete. The word perfect is teleos, complete, whole. Have a wholeness in your attitudes like God. Chapter 6 talks about our motives. I'm going to come back to chapter 6. Chapter 7 talks about our judgments, the way we deal with people. It culminates in the golden rule in verse 12. Do unto other people what you would want them to do unto you. Then from verse 13 through the end of chapter 7 is kind of the conclusion, the invitation of Jesus. Now in chapter 6, he talks about the motives we have for doing the things in connection to God and our relationship to God. And he begins by talking about righteousness. Because the Jews believed that their righteousness obligated God to give them a particular place in the kingdom. So in chapter 6, verse 1, he says this, Beware of practicing or doing your acts of righteousness before men to be noticed by them. So don't do the things simply to be noticed by them and obligating God as well. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> then he begins to talk about three specific examples of that life. Giving money, praying, and fasting. If your motives in doing this is to be seen by other people, you have not done the right thing in terms of God. You will be noticed by them, but your Father will not ever in any sense reward you in heaven. <laughs> nothing to do in this life. Just, there's nothing for you because of that. He then talks about our motives concerning money. Do not treasure up things on earth, but treasure things in heaven. 
You can't serve both God and money. And then he talks about the view that Gentiles have. In verse 32, he says, don't be like the Gentiles. Earlier on, he talks about worrying about your clothing or what you eat. Verse 34, he says, don't worry. Every day will take care of itself. And so what he's saying to them is something like this. Don't live your life like the Jewish leaders who do the acts of righteousness, their acts of faith, to be noticed by other people. Nor do you live your life like the Gentiles, the pagans, worrying about everything with no faith in God. Instead, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, the word seek means to go after, to look for. It is a command. It's in the imperative. It means to seek and keep on seeking. Don't ever stop. In your life with me, as a father of Christ, you keep on seeking. Hey, the baby's waving at me. Hey, baby, how you doing? That's a cute baby. It's the cutest kid. He's just waving at me, doing a great job, David. Keep it up. Thank you. One part, I'm sorry, but I saw that. That's the cutest thing. That kid's just waving at me, telling me what a good job. The rest of you are doing like this. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know we were getting preaching with baptism in the Lord's Supper. I thought one or the other. So, Baby's going, hey, doing a good job. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah. No, not that. I already said that, and that's too early. So here's, here's the thing. And so I really did forget where I was at that moment. I never forget anything. The year's starting off bad. I need black-eyed peas quickly. So you seek, first of all, first does not mean sequentially, one, two, three, but the priority of all else, the priority of your life is to seek something. What is it? God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's what Jesus said. Now, to be part of his kingdom is not by being Jewish. And to be a part of his kingdom isn't simply by the way you live your life. The kingdom is connected with something. Now, here's the thing. Kingdom matters. He begins his message in Matthew chapter 5, 3, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. He talks in 720, uh, 7.21 as he's concluding it. In chapter 7, verse 21, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, there's something about the kingdom connected to the relationship with God. In chapter 6, verse 10, we see part of the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, begins in verse 9. I'm actually going to preach about it, I think, in February. And he says in verse 9, Our Father who is in heaven, holy be your name. And then he says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom of God is connected to the will of God. So we might say this, to understand about the kingdom is to be connected to God's will. And that's critical. Because ultimately, those who are in his kingdom, who live under the reign and rule of God, are in the will of God. So follow his will, his kingdom. Second, I mean, that's, that's what matters. And so, as, uh, the second thing he says then, not only do you seek his kingdom, but you seek his righteousness. You live your life a certain way. We are righteous because of Christ Jesus. God declares us righteous in Jesus. He makes us righteous in Jesus. To be righteous is to be in right standing. Because of that, we live a righteous life. We do certain things in how we live to be that way. The Jews believe you did your acts of righteousness to obligate God. But the truth is, we do our acts of righteousness not to make God have to save us or give us a place of honor to obligate him. We do what we do because of our faith in God. Because we are already righteous, the natural result is to do the things God calls us to do. That's how we live our life. So he says, Jesus does, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. Not that you have more of it, but you have a different kind. What is his righteousness? It's the way 
things are done. You do God's will as is part of his kingdom. But your righteousness is the way that it's done. So that as a follower of Christ, you live to do God's will, God's way. That's what it means. Seek first his kingdom, his will. Seek his righteousness, the way he wants it done. The will of God and the way of God. So I'm going to talk to you for a few moments. As we wrap up, wrap up this year, we look forward to the next year. How, how to do God's will God's way. Because that's what really matters. And, and to give some kind of practicality of it. So here's the thing. In your life, you should always seek to follow God's will. I mean, you, you need to pursue to follow the will of God, his kingdom. So how do you go about following God's will? Well, let me just share some things with you. For one thing that I would tell you to do is read on a regular basis, maybe monthly, certainly quarterly, this year, in 2020, read the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, just read it, study it. Why? Because Jesus is telling us what he expects. I mean, here's the thing. You want to know, what is God one of my life? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? He's telling us right here. Matthew wrote it down. Why would you ignore that? Why would you ignore the one place in the scriptures we can see clearly what Jesus expects of his followers? He writes it right down. He preached it. Matthew wrote it down. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So that's one thing you can begin to do right there. Secondly, think about what it is that Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, commands me to do. They said, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love God, love other people. It's right there. We're to love God, love others. So this year, love God, love other people. Don't care how hard it is. Don't care how unlovable some people are. To some people, you're unlovable too. Maybe to lots of them. Some of them probably left your house this week. Are you left there? It's one or the other. Here's the other thing Jesus says. Go make disciples of people. That's what you can do. That's God's will. Here's Jesus. Here are people you know that don't know Jesus. You are to bring them together. Do that. Help people come to know Jesus. Pray for people. Don't just pray for yourself. That's fine. Pray for people. These are the things we know we should do. And here's one important thing. If you really want to be where God wants you to be, I'm going to give you one of the most practical suggestions that I know to give you. Study, study, study the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, you know what we find? All the things that Jesus wants from us. Now, I realize a lot of people, and this is fine, this is no problem. I don't have any issues with this, obviously. You know, they spend every year, they say, I'm going to read the Bible through in all its entirety this year. That's fine. I, that, no problem. I don't do that. But no problem. Let me, let me suggest something to you. What I'm going to suggest to you, make some of you uncomfortable just for a second, but listen to me carefully. I believe that all the Bible is inspired by God from the first letter, in he, first Hebrew letter in Genesis, which is our equivalent of B, all right, all the way to the last letter in the Greek in Revelation. All of it is inspired by God. He inspired every bit of all equally inspired. I believe all of it is important, but it's not all equally important. It's not. And you know that by the way you live your life. Just think, we just had a Christmas. We celebrated Christmas for weeks, some of you for months. You spent thousands of dollars on Christmas. You opened up four new credit cards just to have Christmas. We came to bunches of services to celebrate Christmas. We're going to celebrate Easter soon. It's the most crowded day of the year. We're going to Sunday of Easter. We're going to have not three services, not four services, not, no, I'm just kidding, because our staff is like, what are you talking about? I thought we were just having four. 
We're going to have four services. I mean, and they're going to be packed. We'll have overflow. We, you know what we don't celebrate? Now, there may be one or two people, oh, I celebrate this preacher, but I'm pretty much guaranteed the rest of you, not hardly anybody celebrates. We don't celebrate Passover. It's in the scriptures. You know what we don't, in the Old Testament, you know what we don't celebrate? The Feast of Weeks. You don't even know what the Feast of Weeks is. You don't even know what week it's talking about. You don't celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Why? Because as a follower of Jesus, it's not important to us. Doesn't mean we don't read about it. So here's what I do. January 1st, I'm going to start reading the Gospel of John. I start every year off reading one of the Gospels. I'll read all the Gospels, or at least two or three of them. You know, throughout the year, I'll probably cover all four in about 15, 16 months. So I'm going to read John. I'm going to go from John, I'm going to go to Acts. And from Acts, I'm going to read all the letters. Romans all the way through Jude. I read it all every year. Some of those letters I'll read two or three times because it matters. I'll read Revelation about once every two years. I'll get all the Gospels in within a short period of time, about 12, 14, 15 months. So I'm going to read all the New Testament a bunch. I'll still do the Old Testament. Every January, January 1st on Wednesday, I'm going to read Proverbs 1. January 2nd, I'm going to read Proverbs 2. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's 31 days in January. I don't think that's a coincidence. So I'm going to read all that. Because Proverbs helps me. On January 15th, I'm going to read a gentle answer, turns away wrath. By then, I'm going to need that, okay? I'm going to need it. So I read all that stuff. I just finished, I'll finish tomorrow having read all of Psalms. I read Psalms about every two years. But I don't read all of the Old Testament every year. It takes me about four or five years to read all the Old Testament. Some of it I'll read several times. I'll read Genesis two or three times. I'll read all of the New Testament basically in one year. It takes me four or five to get to the Old. Why? Because the New Testament is where I learn about Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to spend most of my time there. Because it is there that I understand how to do the will of God. And I want to do God's will. I also want to follow God's way, his righteousness. And that can be tricky sometimes, to know exactly what his way is. Because we can know his will. You can even do his will, but not do it his way. That's what Jesus is talking about in chapter 6. He starts off by saying, when you give money, and they would give money, and giving money was great, but they did it to be glorified. They did it for self-glory. So they gave money, that was God's will, but they didn't do it his way. Lots of people do that. If you give money, listen, was that the will of God? Yes, it's the will of God. I'm a Baptist preacher. Of course, giving money is the will of God. You will never hear me say, you know, giving money is never going to be the will of God in your life. If I say that, somebody lock me up. But you can give it the wrong way. You can give it for all the wrong reasons. We'll still take it. But you're going to give it for all the wrong reasons. So you've got to do God's will, God's way to be blessed by God, to have the fullness of that relationship with God. So what is God's way? We find it in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5, the way is to have the right attitudes. So Jesus says, you have heard. That I said, don't commit, that it is written, don't commit murder. I say, don't even hate someone. You know, not to kill someone is God's will. You know the best way not to kill someone is don't even hate them. Don't commit adultery. That's God's will. <laughs> Our culture may not believe it, but not committing adultery is still God's will. You know how you don't commit adultery? With your attitude of not lusting. I mean, don't do that. So Jesus says, have a completeness of your attitude just like God. Chapter 6 is about our motives. Your motives need to be right. 
So do the things in your relationship to God with the right motives to glorify him. Don't worry about money because if money is your motive of life, you're going to mess up. Quit worrying about things and trust God. Have the right motives and have the right judgments. Don't, don't be judgmental of people. You know, <laughs> it doesn't do any good to say, I love everybody. But oh, so-and-so, a person over there on the row seven, the fourth seat over, man, I love them. But gosh, they're a lousy so-and-so. Ha! No, no, that's just an illustration. Don't take it personally. I don't like that guy. Your motives, I mean, your judgments are wrong. It's all wrong. You're not doing God's will, God's way. And that's what we're called to do. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness, his will and his way. So here's the thing. Next year, try to be exactly where God wants you to be. Live the life, live the way God wants you to live. Try to be exactly where God wants you to be, to live exactly the way God wants you to live your life. That may mean you have to ask the question, where is God working in my life? Where is God working in my life right now? For me, working with my temper. (laughs) He's done that for a long time. He hasn't succeeded yet. He's working with my temper. So somewhere, God's will and God's way deals with my temper. Where's God working in my life? What is God doing? Maybe, maybe your life right now has illness, or there's a bad relationship, or there's problems at work. Does that not mean that maybe God's will and God's way is connected to what's going on in those things? Who are the people God has brought into your life? Um, you may say, God, why is that person in my life? He's brought them in your life so you can do your will, I mean, do his will, his way with them. Everything happens so that you can have the opportunity to do God's will, God's way. But will you do that? You will if you want to have a prosperous 2020. So Wednesday, eat lots of black eyed peas. And if you don't eat them, don't come to church Sunday. I don't want you bringing that bad stuff with you. Eat them. But somewhere along the way, make the commitment that says, this year, God, I want to do your will, your way. God, where can I do your will? Where? How, Father, can I live according to your way? Who can I do that for? We're going to have an invitation. Maybe you want to come and pray. It's great. Several people in the last service just pray. Maybe there's a tough relationship in your life and you want to pray for that or pray for a person. Maybe you're just in a tough situation. You just want to, maybe 2019 stunk and you want 2020 to be better and we'll pray with you. If you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, we'll, 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 we'll do that. We haven't preached a message about it, but give your life to Christ. You want to join our church? Somebody did that, uh, I think, last service. Join our church. We'd love to have you. I, I don't know what you need to do right now. But as I think about next year, I want to invite you to do this. Be sure you commit yourself to doing God's will, God's way. Father, it's, it's, we were blessed in 2019. My wife and I were so blessed. Thank you so much. I'm so thankful for our church. So many wonderful people have come to be a part of it. Some have just started attending, and they're here, and we thank you. Thank you for the staff. They're so great, and their families. You, you, have, you have done amazing things, and I thank you and praise you. And I hope somehow along the way, Lord, that we did your will, your way. I know we failed some. I know I failed, and I'm sorry. But God, this next year, as we just look forward, can, can I as the pastor and, and all of us here, 
I pray, God, we'll make this commitment. We really seek, we really want to be a part of your kingdom and part of your righteousness. We really want to do your will the way you want us to. So God, I pray for this, and I ask for this in the name of Christ, who is our Lord, now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Would you stand? We'll be here at the front to greet you.